Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjo Gall. Hello and uh, welcome to this segment on CTN. To learn more, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And the topic we picked for discussion today is measuring and improving effectiveness at work. So the reason uh, we picked this topic is because whenever you talk to anyone, whether a manager, a leader, or people who are actually doing the work at the ground level, most people talk about productivity because that's the only thing it seems like we end up measuring and that becomes the basis of somebody's performance appraisal, etc., and the results that we develop or deliver to the business. Yes, there is an importance of delivering the results. But throughout that journey, did we develop people? Were they effective in that? Could they have done any better? Not just time-wise, but overall effectiveness. We usually don't end up measuring it, or that's something which always remains a gray area. So we thought, why not go ahead and have this discussion and purposely focus on the effectiveness side of uh, the world when it comes to how we measure and improve effectiveness at work. So to that end, we'd like to discuss this with our two very experienced CXOs. Uh, Samuel Sudhakar is the CIO with California State University. Hey, Sam, how are you? Good morning. I'm well. How are you? Very good, sir. Thank you. And we have Matt Lamb, who's the CIO with Rosenden. Hey, Matt, how was life? Things are good. Hope all's well with you. All right. Yeah, life life is beautiful, and that's why we are thinking, yes, we're done with productivity, or we'll figure out how the productivity is handled, but let's talk effectiveness. So the first question, maybe, Matt, I'll start with you now. When you when you look at your organization, and you can, of course, talk about what you've heard from your peers in the industry, how much do you end up and thinking about and working towards effectiveness versus the very next project that needs to be delivered? What's the sentiment that prevails in that regard? I think overall, we don't spend enough time looking at effectiveness, and we just focus on productivity because, you know, as you said, it's going from one project to the next. Um, but I think a lot, a lot is missed there in just, you know, working our employees so hard and going from one project to the next and making sure that they're productive and they met schedule and deadline and, and cost budget and all those types of things. And I think we miss are they actually doing a good job at their job, regardless if they've you know, met whatever those benchmarks or milestones that we've set for them? So you are agreeing that this is not done. So would you dig deeper and say, because out of sight, out of mind, that's not what anyone measures you on or anyone else on. So that's why it is like a good to have or a nicety, if you will, of business? I think it's seen as that today, but I, I think it needs to be more of a main focus. I mean, you know, a, an easy way to measure effectiveness is simply, I, in my opinion, would be happiness, right? Are your employees happy? Are they engaged in what they're doing? You know, the more engaged they are, the more willing to, they are to learn about what they're doing makes them more effective. And I think another way to measure that is, are your customers happy, right? Those could be internal customers, external customers. It doesn't really matter. But whoever your work product is going to, if if they see that you're happy, motivated, engaged, 
overall, I think your effectiveness is is up where it needs to be. And if the customer's happy and they're getting what they want and they're getting, you know, you're going above and beyond because you want to, not because you have to, I think that really shows that way. So, Sam, based on what Matt said, and, and I would agree, that's the trend I've watched as well, is where we only talk about something which we can measure, and that's the thing which we measure is what we work on improving and productivity becomes a typical area which we try to measure. So coming back to this effectiveness animal, if you will, what do you think is a good measure for effectiveness of an organization? Is it really fuzzy or is it truly we can allocate dollars to our attribute, some numeric number to? So um, this is a very timely topic because um, at uh, California State University, San Bernardino, we are gearing up for a reaccreditation process that happens every 10 years. And uh, the main thing they measure is our effectiveness. And they want us to measure, the accrediting bodies wanted to measure how effective we are in delivering the vision and mission of our institution. So... Um, a good measure of an effectiveness of an organization is how well you deliver against the vision and mission of the organization. And uh, if you look at the vision of the organization, um, you know, I pulled up a couple of vision statements. Um, for example, you know, Ford Motor Company's vision is to become the world's most trusted company. I mean, not, it doesn't say anything about cars. It just says the, the vision is to become the most trusted company. Uh, Walmart's vision statement says, be the destination for customers to save money no matter how they want to shop. And Gillette's vision statement says uh, to build a total brand value by innovating to deliver consumer value. So if you look at the commonality of vision statements across the organization, in, at California State University, our vision is to transform the lives of our students, faculty, and staff. So if you look at the commonality of the vision statements, vision statements are very people-centric. They're not product-centric. They're not uh, bottom-line-centric. They are very people-centric. So in order for us to measure the effectiveness of an organization, we measure it against how well we do against our vision statement. Our vision statement is very... Um, aspirational, right? The mission statement then tells you how we are going to do that. And that's why the mission statement changes over time as you find different ways to execute your vision. But the mission statement is very people-centric. And if we are doing a good job fulfilling our mission, then we'll be paying attention to the people in our organization. And I think later on in the show, you're going to ask questions about how we engage people into the vision and mission of the organization, but that's really how you measure the effectiveness of an organization is to measure yourself against the vision and mission of the organization. So Sam, based on your uh, response here, it looks like if two people were talking, you say, I want to be happy. And the person says, I'm already happy. Or you want to be happy and I'm already happy. But how happy are you? But I'm, I'm saying I'm happy as I could be, but you're not happy enough. So you see how this confusing in you know conversation could be, where mm -hmm. a vision could be that I want to be people centric, and you got all those interesting visions which you yourself cannot truly measure in quantifiable terms. And when you are trying to work on the ground and saying, okay, are we getting there? Are we linking back enough to the vision? Are we close enough to that benchmark 
since the benchmark itself is a fuzzy how do you go from one fuzzy to another fuzzy so uh, as i mentioned you know vision statements are aspirational and um you know you uh, i always call it you achieve excellence and not perfection so the vision statements are aimed towards being perfect which is is an alluding target and that's that's where it gets fuzzy but as long as we are pushing towards the aspirational vision um and we are able to bring our employees and help them see themselves in achieving that vision i think we will be a better organization when employees see themselves in the vision of an organization then they will be pushing towards that aspirational goal i agree with that part so matt coming to you given what uh, sam mentioned so yeah we could have a great vision and and rightfully so we should have a great vision and if people are effective then they will help achieve that vision or we will get there together but the the question here is about the effectiveness itself that means we are we love to paint a good vision but if you are not serious enough about the effectiveness then we will never reach there so that means if you want to become more effective than yesterday that means you should have said i'm num- i'm at level 4 from a scale from 1 to 10 i want to strive for number 5 we should know what level 4 means and what level 5 means and we should have what i call as a developmental experience for that individual or an overall experience for that person to move or that organization to move from level 1 to so level 4 for to level 5 but are we going and and going about doing things the way we are supposed to so this there is a numeric uh improvement in the level of effectiveness of an individual or group or department or the whole organization well i think it gets to be really fuzzy you know to to sam's point about the vision i i you know the vision statement the companies have i i like that and i agree with it but to quantify it down on a scale of 1 to 10 I feel like that's hard to do. Um a lot of what that is it's ingrained in your culture, right? I mean, if if your goal is to be the most trusted company as, as Sam said Ford's vision statement was, how do you really break that down for an individual to so that you could measure effectiveness? Um I don't know. So what you're saying what you're saying is that vision because it's fuzzy it's tough to break it down but let's leave the vision for a second aside and look at an individual who was brought in to do a certain job and they were assigned certain projects during that journey whether a person was effective in being able to figure out the 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 scope how they prioritize things how did they manage their time how did they take small decisions or work with others to make decisions got up to speed with the job and actually delivered all that comprises of somebody's effectiveness that's measurable isn't it yes that is measurable but then i think you get into the gray area of what is effectiveness over productivity then i mean some of those things i seem like we would be back to the productivity topic more than effectiveness so you're saying all the things that we talk about that how do i manage time it impacts productivity i agree with you but effective is that is this the best way anyone could have done it like a benchmark right it's not doing faster but producing the best outcome given the resources that we had 
the limitations and the constraints we have did we do the best as an individual as a group as a department as an organization would you would you say that's effectiveness yeah i i think that's a part of it yes okay so if you were to take that as a a a definition of effectiveness what do you think are some of the top reasons why we are not able to have effective employees because everyone has been offered the same constraints or same budget or same training if you will but some people are more effective than others what do you think is causing it i i think it gets into the soft skills some people have an inherent drive a nature that allows them and drives them to go for more and to make decisions that are the best for the whole and not for the one that allows them to step back and reflect upon what they've just done and how that impacts the project the scope the budget any of those things that's what's hard to teach you can take two people who have the same technical skill set but if one has the cognitive awareness for let's say effectiveness for the sake of this conversation that person is going to be more effective that person's going to ultimately rise above the other person who's just thinking of the project is very linear step 1 step 2 step 3 if you know if i i meet that mark i check that box and i move on to the next thing rather than thinking outside of the box or looking at the big picture so sam taking what what you just uh, met mentioned here in terms of the top reasons which holds people back from being effective do you think we should not exactly blame but attribute one person being more effective than the other solely on that individual's dna um so you know uh, people are uh, people are different right intrinsically uh, people are different some are motivated intrinsically some are motivated extrinsically and uh, we have an we have an initiative in our organization in in IT that's called people first at ITS uh the w- the reason for that initiative is that uh we may say uh, our vision is to provide world class customer service to our students faculty and staff but if the employees don't come first we're not going to be delivering that vision statement um just like you know mcdonald says we love to uh, we love to see you smile if the guy across the counter um who's taking your order is grouchy you're not smiling so people need to see themselves in the in the vision and mission of the organization and so the way we do it is motivate different people differently everybody is um they might be uh, they might have the same skill set but their motivation is different so we need to tap into what interests that employee there are two things i think uh, employees are motivated by number one where do they see themselves in the vision and mission of the institution and number two how are they recognized in fulfilling that vision and mission of the institution so everybody cannot um be recognized the same way i send out emails when an employee uh, does a world class customer service spotlight but not not all employees are motivated by that some employees are motivated by uh, gift cards um 
out to lunch with the boss. You know, different things motivate different people. So if we, we need to put employees first and find out what motivates them, what drives them, and we need to intrinsically motivate them using those techniques that are applicable applicable to that person. So each individual needs to be taken care of on an individual basis. It's a lot of investment of time on the part of managers to find out what motivates employees, but it's a good investment of time because if we invest in our employees and put employees first, they will perform for us. So Matt, given what uh, Sam said, I'm not sure how big is your team, but given that customized, hyper-customized approach to getting into the hearts and minds of these individuals, working alongside them, they make them feel that we really care for them and we are there for them, and giving them all the tools and the nurturing and the mentoring and coaching so they can become the best they can be. Is that feasible as you move at a warp speed in this crazy world and if you've got people more than you can handle, and not everyone would be Matt Lamb at the CIO level. You might have managers and directors who may be reporting to you, but they may not have that coaching ability and that empathy, if you will. How well, that's you- where I think, I think a big part of this is it starts at the top, right? It's leadership. So if, if I haven't set a clear direction and sent out clear communication to my direct reports, my managers, who then can carry that message down to their direct reports, it's not going to happen. While, again, yes, some, as you said, some of those managers may not have that in them, but it's my responsibility as the top leader to carry that on, and I need to carry it out to the team as a whole in any way I'm able to communicate via going to their desks and talking to them, email communications, and trying to tap into the different currencies that makes people tick, kind of like Sam alluded to. Um, But, you know, it's all culture-based, and it's based on the leader being either a good leader who's in tune with his people and trying to carry that message down the best he can and working with his managers and trying to coach them to carry that message further down the line. So is is your playbook saying that you continue to look at what how these people are responding to your message or the direction and are they demonstrating to you that yes they have the empathy they have the wherewithal to be able to carry that message down and then you have some checks and balances to know whether that's indeed happening if you don't then you could just be conveying or you'll be just communicating but that may not go in the same way as you intended for it to go to the very ground staff. How yeah, are you correct. So I have to check balances? in with the ground staff to ensure that they are getting what they need and that they agree with the message I'm conveying and that, you know, at any point I need to pivot and readjust based on how the team dynamic is set up or the goals of the company. Um, and, yeah, it's checks and balances all along the way. So, Sam, given what Matt's approach is to kind of have that checks and balances and kind of uh, taking leadership with like uh, taking a leadership position and still helping people, you know, below uh, him or who are reporting to him to grow them and groom them. All that is good. Where do you think things fall through the crack, Sam? This is a good approach, um, but it's ideal. Where do we fall short? So uh, Matt was absolutely right that that it starts at the leadership level, right? And then how effectively uh, it gets communicated down to the um, 
the line worker, uh, the staff employee, is the challenging part. Number one, you know, um, leaders follow leaders, and if the if I'm saying something and I'm not following my own preaching, then my leadership team is not going to buy into what I'm trying to say. If I'm if I say we will provide world class customer service, and I'm not responding to an email from a student's faculty or staff within two hours, then I'm not following my own um, my own message. So that's it starts right there at the leadership level. We have to be consistent. We have to be exceptional in uh, people of integrity and and setting an example for the leadership team. Then the leadership team, uh, the managers, as Matt alluded, need to be held accountable that they also follow that regimen before they tell their employees that they have to be serve the ser- provide world class customer service so at every level there needs to be consistency and integrity at the leadership level every every step down the way in order for the message to trickle down and to be effective at the staff level now um, I've done this uh, now for six, seven years, right? Um, last year, I went through an exercise where I met with every employee within my organization. So we have 120 folks working in IT in, at Cal State San Bernardino. So I spent about half an hour to 45 minutes with each employee asking them four questions. Number one, how's your work environment? Uh, how's your workload? Um, what can we um, do better at ITS? What can, what's one thing we can do better at ITS? Number four is, what are your career aspirations? So I gave them the questions ahead of time, and many of them came with prepared answers to those four questions. The reason I engaged them is that they wanted to hear firsthand from me that I care about them, and I care about our organization and that we, we as an organization, as an ITS organization, are committed to providing the best support available to our constituent community. I wanted them to hear it from me firsthand. So it was a very effective exercise. It took me um, about nine, ten months to get all the employees done because of the schedules, their schedules and my schedules. But at the end of the day, I came away with, um, with, a, with a very good understanding of where my employees were, what the pulse of the, my employees are, and what motivates them, what are their aspirations, dreams and aspirations. So I could share that information anonymously with the leadership team to say, these are the, the themes and categories I found when I met with these employees. So um, it starts at the leadership level, but at the same time, sometimes we have to engage one-on-one with our own staff in order for us to make them effective employees. So, Matt, let me give you a scenario which is actually true in many cases, is good leadership, leaders like yourself who are communicating well with the team, the ground staff, and getting a checks and balances in place. But then when it comes to the actual project work, not just the talk, but the project work, many times those people don't get enough time to prepare for it. Many times such tasks or projects are assigned to them which are not in direct connection to the growth path they were promised when they joined or on during their performance appraisal. Many times when they are trying to bring some ideas 
Due to time constraint, the manager shoot it down to say, we've got a deadline to meet. So then the person, while would get the work done, and yes, the person got all the messaging and the, the so-called motivation from the managers and the top leadership, but in their mind, their experience is less optimal than what it should have been, and which in turn makes them less effective. How do you deal with these leakages, if you will? I'm sure nobody's doing it intentionally, but that's where many of the times disconnect happens between what we are communicating that we will do, and when we have this pressure cooker environment, then the survival, the fight or flight thing kicks in at all levels, including leadership and management, and we throw this effectiveness thing out of the window. How do you deal with it? It's a tricky one because, you know, projects always seem to take precedence over everything else. Um, but I, I think one good way to, to handle that would be, I think how I would put it, the approach in, for it would be to really have an open door policy, a timeout, whatever you want to call it, so that convey to that employee, to that team member, that teammate, that we want to hear from you, we want these things, and sometimes this may happen because we have deadlines, but we still want to hear from you. So if you know, we could put a... a, a process in place where if you hear that, you know, report back to, say, me or, or your manager or someone so that we can sit down, we can go over that, and we can actually put something together on how to implement that maybe when the time is right. It may not be the best time to actually do that because we have deadlines and all these other things, you know, pressing down on us. However, we do need to hear that. We do need to take that feedback and try to implement it. And I think it's it's put upon us as the leaders of the, the team, the group, the company, that we take time out of our day and we sit down with these people. We hear what they have to say. We take action upon it and try to implement it and then ultimately give them credit for it. If it's you know, a great idea that works out and there's you know, any kind of benefit for the for everyone for it. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And Sam, when we come back, I'd like to build upon what Matt said, is that we should sit down and talk to them and explain to them what happened. But could there be a way by which we put effectiveness as the agenda versus pure productivity or pure project delivery and use that as the leaders to say no or push back or manage expectations from the very people who are imposing deadlines on us, which is creating this pressure cooker for our team members? If we say yes to everything and we keep apologizing or trying to explain the people who are reporting to us, that's going to further dwindle their confidence in us saying that we want to take care of you and we want you to be effective and we want to do the right thing. What holds us back from saying no to the people above us so that our own people who could become effective, more effective than they are today, and eventually turns around and helps the whole organization because all deadlines are made by individuals. How do we deal with it? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and explore.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, uh, Sam, we are talking about so many different things here, and we are talking about projects. We are trying to communicate, and as Matt said in his last response, that we could sit down with the people who have a concern, have an open-door policy, which are the right things to do. But could there be a prevention than we trying to to do damage control or to cure it after the fact by saying no or making effectiveness as the agenda so that whenever you are receiving a request to complete or do a project, you look at what's going to be the impact on the effectiveness if I give too aggressive a timeline or commit to a too aggressive a timeline to my management. What do we do to, to, to be proactive in making sure we make effectiveness a priority. Okay, so you got to start with outcomes first. So keep the outcome in mind before we pursue any project. And at the end of the project or during the project, let's make sure that we are striving towards that end result or the outcome. And make mid-course corrections as we go along if we are not not traveling towards the intended target, right? So if we continue to do a project without assessing, without measuring the effectiveness towards the intended outcome, then at the end of the project, we're going to find that we were way off mark and uh, we were over budget and over time. Many times projects get sidelined, um, they, they, they get into uh, scope creep, etc., because we haven't we haven't clearly articulated the outcome at the beginning of the process. So start with the end in mind and make sure that you're assessing yourself um, throughout the process. Now, early in my career, I used to work um, as a quality control person, engineer, in, um, in different manufacturing plants. And one of the things that uh, when I worked in the refrigerator plant, there was a place where there was a quality control. They pulled the refrigerators off the side and looked for problems in the refrigerators. 
But if the if a flaw is not discovered early on in the line, by the time it gets to the quality control station, it becomes too late, and it costs the company a lot of money. So we install systems all along the assembly line to look for problems, look for dings and scratches, and... Um, anomalies in the refrigerator before it even got to the quality control station. By doing so, we saved the company millions of dollars because we were able to identify issues early on in the process, and we were able to make corrections downstream uh, that is causing that problem to occur. So um, it's the same way with with uh, any organization that we work for. We have to keep our outcome in mind. If the outcome is to produce the best refrigerator with no uh, flaws, then we got to start all the way in the beginning and make sure all the processes and all the um, procedures are aligning with the end in mind. So, uh, Matt, when you are looking at all the different things that you juggle with, and there are always, I've never seen a CIO say, I have a carte blanche from my management and I've got all the budget and no constraints, right? So that I've never heard, seen that happen. <laughs> so, so in your world, when you put constraints and not that you want to put constraints, those are just obvious constraints from the business. Do you see that helping with the effectiveness because people get creative, they grow smarter and they feel that even though these are constraints, which are obvious constraints versus unnecessary constraints, it helps people become creative? Or would you rather have your people be given a carte blanche for once? Or you create a simulated carte blanche so that they have all the room to grow? What have you seen that would work best for people so that they become the well, most effective? I've seen both. And, you know, in construction, having been through a recession and, where you know the the budgetary belt gets tightened very very closely when it comes to the IT department um you know constraints get put on and i i think for a period of time people get really creative with those constraints so i think there is some good that come can come out of you know the constrained creativity people think ways to be leaner uh be more effective to be to do more with less but I don't think that's a sustained approach. Um, I think it's almost a hybrid hybrid approach. Inherently, constraints get put on us all the time for any number of reasons and in any number of ways. Um, and, I, and I think some good can come out of that. But I think at the same time, when you aren't under those imposed constraints, if you can have kind of carte blanche is a pretty big word, um, to put it, but I think if you can open things up and allow a different kind of creativity that maybe does require some funds or some other resources that traditionally may not be available, you can get a different kind of creativity and a different kind of a different kind of I'm trying to think of the word, but a whole new way of thinking from the employees that that really really will drive growth. So do you flip a coin to see how much of, uh, you know, pulling back on the funds versus how much of, not just the funds, but overall, the constraints versus imposing? Is it a sweet spot that we any, any leader has to determine, or is it like case-by-case case basis, so you'll play it by ear? Well, I think it's case-by-case, case, and I think it's time-dependent. You know, if 
but as I said, you know, some of the constraints get put on where no one really has any control of it. You get hit with a recession or something like that. And then those, you know, constraints that you have no control over come in and, and you get that creativity. And then when you have a period of accelerated growth and high profitability and stuff, I think then it's on the leader to step back and go, okay, you know, we can set aside some funds for R&D, growth and development, learning, whatever fits that model for, you know, that team. And then you say, here, take this, do something with it, and let's see what you can come up with. So, Sam, of course, you and I and, and Matt, everyone wants effectiveness for its people, including ourselves. But then who should take ownership of ensuring that effectiveness becomes the very DNA of the organization? so that you're not fighting upstream unnecessarily. And the people who you present your case to that I want to give people the room, the breathing room, the training, the, the funds I need to use to uh, get our people, our process, our technology moving in the right direction, they are not nickel and diming and are on the same page with you in terms of effectiveness. So who would you ask to take the baton for effectiveness? Okay, so... Um... While there might be a unit within our organization that's keeping track of the outcomes and the key performance measures and those kinds of things, effectiveness is the responsibility of every individual inside the organization. Um, Without the buy-in and consensus of every individual within the organization, we're never going to be an effective organization. Just like uh, information security or accessibility, it's, it's the responsibility of everyone. While there might be a unit that is responsible uh, for um, bringing uh, best practices to the surface, for training, for keeping track of, documenting, it, is, it starts with the leadership team, but it needs to become embedded into every single individual within the organization. And as I alluded to first, if, we, if the employees are not buying into the vision or the mission of the organization, then they're not going to see themselves as, as stewards of effectiveness in an organization. So every single employee is a steward of effectiveness in, in an organization. And that level of buy-in and collective cooperation and collaboration among the organization will move the effectiveness farther than anything else. Otherwise, like you said, um, Sanjo, it, it is an uphill battle. If we are, uh, if, if we, employees don't buy in and they don't do it, and we're constantly chasing behind them to, to document KPIs, and 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 then you run into, um, you know, cooking up the books kinds of situations where people are totally focused on uh, making sure the books look good and the KPIs look good, that effective work is not going on in the, on the ground. So um, it's 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 a very dangerous thing to um, to push effectiveness from uh, from one particular unit or one particular direction. Rather, it needs to be uh, it needs to be a combined effect of the entire organization. So that's a pretty good segue for my next question. So Matt, one is should I look at one project at a time if I was a leader in IT or even otherwise in business, and make sure that the people really get all the room they want, all the resources so that they can breathe and they can really do the best job at that project. And so they are deemed as effective for that given initiative. Or should I do something at the cultural level 
so that it allows everyone to think in the same direction and effectiveness is a byproduct of it. What do you think should happen or should both happen? I think inherently both will happen, but I think it needs to be the focus of the culture. As a leader, and and as Sam said, it's really everyone's responsibility in the department. It starts with the leader, and that leader needs to shift it downwards and push it on to everyone. And to focus on one project could probably be seen as unfair and and not right, which would then be counterintuitive to trying to get everyone to be more effective. So, you know, naturally it's going to happen where one project may get a little more attention than the other and and focus and constraints are lifted to get it done. But I think overall it needs to be consistently conveyed from leadership that it's a cultural approach. It's for the whole team. It's for every team member to, to benefit from. So, so what you just said, we should have a culture, but would you think that in a toxic culture, are we in a way submitting to the fact that because it's toxic, we do not have any room for making an individual effective in a given initiative? In a toxic culture, you have all kinds of problems. Um, that's kind of a tricky one. Um, because culture is not supporting, but you could cocoon that project and build a subculture or whatever else that you do to make an individual's effectiveness a success. You can do that. If, if you are in such a toxic culture that that is warranted, then yes. And because hopefully like the, the outcome of that would be that you start spreading the, that positive culture across the, the negative one. So to that end, Sam, would you say that you could ever say that we have the most, or each company could say we have the most conducive culture it can because it's a living, living organism and it will keep shifting with each change of leadership or even otherwise any disruptions that happen. But that should not directly have an impact on how an individual, uh, how effective an individual is when working on a given project. How much can you insulate effectiveness from other types of disruptions and jitters? So um, in every, empl- every organization, um, there are toxic employees and unproductive employees, right? So we cannot let toxic employees define the culture of the organization. If, uh, if we let that happen, then we're really not being effective as, as leaders. Um, rather than insulating projects, um, I would insulate individuals and make sure that a culture of assessment, a culture of effectiveness, a culture of positivity moves forward with the rest of the organization. Now, if an organization is 90% toxic, then it, it's probably apt to close it down. But in my experience, uh, there are always a handful of toxic individuals and individuals who will disrupt the process. But we as, leader, we as a leadership team need to take effective measures in making sure that those individuals don't take preeminence and they don't define who we are. Um, the, uh, there's several different ways to um, either turn around the toxic employees or 
to let them go or to isolate them. There's there's very effective ways in which we can uh, we can use the majority of our culture to influence the minority of the culture that is, that might not buy into the vision and mission of the institution. So. Um, uh, I wouldn't, you know, in an organization where we are constantly afraid of toxic employees and, and isolating projects from them, it's, it's not very healthy at all. We need to isolate the individuals and move the rest of the institution forward. So, Matt, taking example from what Sam mentioned, can I draw a parallel to a contagious epidemic of sorts where there are some people who are uh, exposed to it, so we quarantine those people? And so that the rest of the population is allowed to live normally. Could we bring that into making sure that even though there were some toxic individuals, then we quarantine them so that we preserve the rest of the culture and as a result, continue our focus and effectiveness. On the ground, how realistic and how practical and how doable is it and have you tried something like this? Yeah, I think you have to. I mean, your job as a leader is to make sure that everyone's got a good work environment, that they enjoy coming to work, and that they can be the best they can at work. And if you have one or two individuals on the team that really hinders that for others in any way, shape, or form, you know, it's it's our job as leaders to to protect the rest of the group from that one person. And you know, certainly in the past, I've I've had to do that where you have one person and you you pull them aside and you start working with them, and then you see whether or not you can do anything or what you can do with them, and then you start kind of segregating them away from certain tasks or activities. It's not the it's not the best way. It's not how you feel great about going about managing your team, but it is important that if there's you know one bad apple in the lot, you you need to make sure everyone else is is happy still and protected from getting, you know, getting poisoned. So your example assumes that all the people who could be potentially toxic and influence the effectiveness of your team could be the only people who are belonging to your department. But it's invariably the case that you might be dealing with business users and constituents who might have toxicity. You do not have the authority to quarantine them. You have to deal with them, but they're the ones who are causing lack of effectiveness or poisoning the waters. What do you do then? Right. So if we're talking outside of the team, then what I've done in the past is I, I pick one person who's responsible for that end user the best we can. I mean, we're an IT department, so a number, you know, the outside users come in and they're generally looking for support or we're working with them on a project. And I try to encourage my staff to reach out to this one kind of point person if that person calls or reaches out for support or if we're going to work on a project with that person, I find someone who I think can best work with them to mitigate that problem going forward. So, Sam, when we are looking at all of these different things with respect to effectiveness and you are inheriting some talent and or people at business level or within your team, would you, if some, if you were to recommend someone or be a coach and guide and a consultant to an individual who's trying to introduce effectiveness, would you have them first go clean the house 
and then start with this or focus more on turnaround? Because you have no guarantees the new people who will bring, they may be good on paper, but when they come down and, and you try to make them effective in your given environment, they may not be as good. So what would be your turnaround strategy where effectiveness was not the focus and now you want to focus on it? What would be your playbook? So um, if I'm starting out in an organization, the first thing I would concentrate on is to building the relationship with, the, with my leadership team as well as the employees. Um, so, uh, you know, as in, in, in my previous uh, shows with you, I've always said that employees don't get toxic overnight. They don't get up in the morning and say, today I'm going to be ineffective, unproductive, I'm just going to go and collect my paycheck. It, it happens over time. And there are reasons that employees who started out as good employees become toxic employees, become disruptive employees over time. So when, when you go into an organization as a new leader, it gives the leader a very, very good chance to try to change the culture, change those people who are unproductive and toxic. So the, the first 90 days, the first, uh, I would focus on building that relationship, getting to know people one-on-one. When I came into this organization in 2013, um, uh, the first thing I did was I had an initiative called Lunch with Sam, and I met with six or seven employees at the, at, at the same time. I, brought them, I bought them lunch. And just chit-chatted with them about nothing about work, but just about anything and everything so they could get to know me as a person and as a leader. And that was very effective in people getting to know me um, outside of my responsibilities as, a, as an individual, as a person, as one among them, one of them, right? So, um, and that was, that was, that starting part was very, very good. And during the process, I was able to discover people with leadership skills, people with ambitions and all kinds of characteristics. And I also discovered who were individuals who were toxic, who really didn't want to be there. And then the second round was for me to focus on those individuals uh, who didn't want to be there for some reason and trying to come up with a strategy to uh, to really address them one-on-one to see what their aspirations, why did they get there. So most of those employees um, in the past six or seven years, I've been able to turn around. I mean, there's going to be a handful of them that, uh, that regardless of, uh, of what you do, they are who they are and you can't change it and you just have to accept that and, um, and move on. So uh, my advice would be to not make any dr- drastic changes, but to observe, to build. You know, at the end of the day, it's all about people. If we get people right, everything else will follow, will fall in place. And uh, that's why, you know, I always say people come first at ITS, and I continue to use that mantra every day. One last question for you, Matt. Given that the growth the MA, the disruptions, the business change, the environmental change, they will not stop. And they will keep bringing disruptions. And I know you get paid a million dollars to handle all of this for your company. <laughs> but if, if you had to continue to handle things the best you can and maintain this effectiveness agenda, make sure that it is never compromised, what help do you need? Well, I, what help? I mean, I think I need everyone on the team to participate. 
You know, I need to keep my ear to the ground. I need to know what's going on and where and what I need to address at any time. I think a big part of it is practicing what you preach. Um, and then, you know, s- sticking to all that. It's, it, I think the help comes from the rest of the team members. Um, I, it's a very thought-provoking question. Um, Sam, do you want to chime in? That's okay. Yeah, could you tell me the question again? I'm saying that what help do you need because of so many things happening, and I just have less than a minute to close, but what is the help you need as a CXO who is supposed to make sure that effectiveness agenda is never compromised? And So I think, yeah, so, um, you know, it comes from uh, the CEO of of the organization, and in our case, we're very fortunate to have a CEO who... uh, who practices assessment and continuous improvement and effectiveness at the organization. So it flows naturally from the CEO to the rest of the organization. So the support that you need is from your CEO as well as your fellow colleagues across the organization as you try to move your unit forward in support of the mission of the institution. So um, it cannot be done alone. It needs a lot of support and collaboration. And if you put a good vision forward for why you're trying to do this, I think you will get a lot of support from the entire organization, upward and and downward in your organization. On behalf of the show and our listeners, thanks so much, uh, Sam and Matt, for sharing your insights about how the leaders, the CIOs and all IT leaders and business leaders can actually bring effectiveness to a level where it is seen as a priority, they use it as the very DNA and make all the necessary changes so that the company achieves its vision. And in that process, everyone sings Kumbaya. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. And listeners, please like us on Facebook, search for CTN. Uh, Please be sure to follow us on Twitter and join our LinkedIn group. We are on over 20 syndication channels, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, iHeartRadio, to name a few. Please go ahead and download our podcast and rate so that more people learn about us and benefit. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CTN. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.